Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as the sort of person who would make a playlist of breakup songs for Facebook, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Chris Hughes, the co-founder of Facebook. He's been on this podcast before to talk about income inequality, but today we're going to talk about a column he published in the New York Times called It's Time to Break Up Facebook, which has caused quite a ruckus in Silicon Valley, on Wall Street, everywhere. Chris, who I've known for a very long time, welcome back to Rico Decode. Thank you for having me here. So I don't know where to start. I, let's start with why you decided to write this. Well, it's been a long time coming for me. So as you uh, said at the top, mm-hmm. I've worked on income inequality for a few years now. And a little over a year ago, I published a book that was a bit my story, but it was also an argument for a guaranteed income. And this is uh, universal. This is the income. idea of creating an income floor for everyone. In other words, giving enough, giving, ensuring that people have enough money that they can make ends meet. And so, on my journeys on the book tour, I had a lot of people engage with the argument and say that makes sense. If markets are dynamic and competitive and fair, otherwise, all the money is going to get eaten up in housing and healthcare. And I had thought about this somewhat, but this particular line of critique really stuck with me. So I started reading, talking to a lot of experts, uh, learning everything I could about uh, how specifically the concentration of corporate power in markets and the history of antitrust. And as I became more immersed in the literature, I, you know, it was hard to sidestep the fact that uh, much of my life has been made possible by Facebook and Facebook is now a monopoly. Mm-hmm. So, I started wrestling with that on my own for last last year quite a bit and then began writing what I had no idea would turn into this piece in January and um, it got longer and yeah, it's longer. Very long. It's great. And it's like, long. it was even longer for a mm-hmm. period. And anyway, then uh, chatted with some folks at the New York Times who kindly agreed to run it and do some uh, stuff around it. And now it's on the world. So, what, when you were deciding that, obviously you wanted to focus on your own experience. This is something we'll go into your history so people have an understanding of it. Sure. Sometimes people write these things and don't do things. There's a couple of people at Facebook now coming out, Roger McNamee, other people who have benefited mm-hmm. financially from Facebook. But what was the the impetus to just focus on Facebook? Because there's inequality all over the place. There's all kinds of issues, and you and I have talked about this extensively. Well, I'd love to. I, I'd love to talk about other companies besides right. Facebook. People always look at me and think uh, that, guy's, that guy knows Facebook, and right. I, I, I do know a thing or two about Facebook. Mm-hmm. But I have been thinking a lot about antitrust in general. So you know, there is an increasing concentration 
across uh, three quarters of American industries have become more concentrated over the past 20 years. I mean, it's a fancy way of saying it's just fewer firms and they're bigger and bigger. And it's part of a trend. If you look at average markups on prices, that's been increasing. If you look at the rate of small business entrepreneurship, that's been decreasing. And it's something that, you know, the Open Markets Initiative, the Roosevelt Institute, their whole, there's a whole ecosystem that is um, trying to highlight these problems and talk about solutions to them. And it's again, it's not just digital. It's in airlines, healthcare, prescription drugs, um, beer, even rental mm-hmm. cars. We can go through a long list. Um, I do know more about tech and Facebook mm-hmm. and, and that sector. And uh, there is a real problem, as I write in the piece, with right. Facebook's size. And so that was my departure point for, for the Did, for did the it bear it? Did the, the election and what had happened? Because the, the tech yeah. clash has been brewing. I've talked about it for two years now, this issue. So, which you, a lot of the stuff you wrote about is stuff that people have been bringing up and saying, just a second, this is not the way it was supposed to be, et cetera, et cetera. Did that have any impact on you? That's when I started to wake up mm-hmm. a little bit. To I, I can't say to the antitrust issues at mm-hmm. that phase, but to how Facebook was changing the world. I mean, our, I wish I had been more aware earlier. I mean, it was. It seems in retrospect sort of late, actually. But I, I do think the challenge for me, and I think for a lot of other people, is to figure out how much social media is just reflecting who we've always been, mm-hmm. or how much is it actually changing how we right. are as people and as a society now. And you know, I was t- I was talking a little bit yesterday about this problem back in the very very beginning of uh, early days. You know, mm-hmm. how much time people spend, you know, with that list of what are your favorite movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, it was and you know. Was that just a reflection of the vanity that we all feel when we, you know, get up in the morning and want to look nice as we go about our days? Or was that actually amplifying that and, and making it worse? And so now, 15 years on, I think social media has. I mean, it does. mental health studies have documented that it is making particularly teens more self-conscious, more mm-hmm. aware of um, themselves. And that is a problem. Similarly, back to your your question, with the election in 2016, uh, you know, Donald Trump rose for a whole host of reasons, not mm-hmm. just Facebook. Absolutely. But I think that Facebook and the social media ecosystem definitely amplified the fringe. Mm-hmm. Those voices became louder. They More people heard them. They became more legitimate. And I think they helped fuel his rise and the rise of other nationalist leaders across the globe. Now, Facebook has done a lot of things since then to change the news feed. They're trying mm-hmm. to write the ship. And I think a lot of those things are he- headed in the right direction. But they're, they're just not enough. I right. mean, I, I just don't think that Facebook can fix Handle itself. The problems. Yeah, I, you know I think that. You know, I think that they don't have the capabilities to do it. And now it's gotten out of control. But let's go back to, to the beginning. Let's go through for people who don't know you who you are and why. And then we'll get more into why you're doing it and some of the specifics of what you want to have happen. Um Talk a little about your history with Facebook. You met Mark at Harvard. Oh, by the way, the pictures of the two of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's Oof. a blonde, blonde hair you got yeah, going on. Yeah, I know. One of my <laughs> colleagues was like, wow, you're the bleach blonde. I was like, what are you talking about? I haven't dyed my hair. <laughs> Different time. Different time. All right. So you were you were at Harvard. You were—explain to people where, where you were when you were one of the founders of Facebook. 
So Mark and I met freshman year mm-hmm. of college. We started Facebook later on sophomore mm-hmm. year. We weren't we weren't really friends, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, we had several mutual friends, mm-hmm. and we were acquaintances. We joined what's called a blocking group mm-hmm. at Harvard. You choose half a dozen, eight people, and you move from your freshman dorm into a uh, a dorm that you're going to live in sure, for the rest that of you your share, time. Right. Yeah. So he and I were part of the same blocking group, and so got to know each other. And then we're paired with Dustin and and Billy in a room, Mm -hmm. and then we all became roommates. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I talk in the book about how the role that luck has played in my life. Like, I am well aware that I am the lucky roommate of Mark Zuckerberg. I did a lot of work in the early days of Facebook. I'm proud of that. And I'm also the lucky roommate of Mark Zuckerberg because in that room, we were talking about all kinds of different ideas. Mark was always trying things out, and this was one in a series of projects. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we kept different patterns. He went to bed a lot later than I did. Mm-hmm. I got up earlier in the morning, but we did have a lot of overlap in the evenings when we were just hanging out in the common room, mm-hmm. reading on mm, online, on AOL Instant Messenger, doing homework, chatting about the days or whatever. So the room that we had was, you know, we were all doing different things. It was It was a very um, typical generative yeah. kind of experience. I don't know if it was typical, but it was it was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, we were um, yeah, I guess. And you you were not you. Dustin did a lot of the coding, and so did yeah. Mark, and stuff like that. And you, what was your role from your perspective? So my role was lighter. Mm-hmm. I was the non technical guy of the group. So I, you know, as soon as Facebook launched, the phone calls started coming in, mm-hmm. and I ran interference, and so all of a sudden became the spokesperson Mm -hmm. because that's what I was doing a lot of the time. We then had more of a proactive messaging strategy as we expanded to other colleges, so putting together exactly the marketing materials, the the approach to recruiting folks. It was all very lightweight stuff. Mm -hmm. And a bit of customer service, too, for for that first year. There was some product development, but it was hard to even call it that. It was, you know, do you think that you should have a running feed of all the news articles about a student on their profile mm-hmm. without their choosing to have it. Right, you know, that was a little feature early mm-hmm. on and all kinds of debates about that. Certainly the default of privacy settings should mm-hmm. a user at Harvard be able to see a user. See someone at Stanford by default. You know, against, how, correct. I uh yeah, I was. I believed then and still believe that a lot of what made Facebook special and unique in that period was that it wasn't open. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, the default wasn't um, be who you want to be, invent who you want to be for the internet to see. It was much more... Which was MySpace at the time. Yeah, it was was MySpace at the time. This was about being more or less who you really were. Sure, you still chose a flattering profile photo, Mm -hmm. but it was was your real name, it was your real interests, and you had some fun with it, and then you connected with your real friends and later family, et cetera. So um, I do think that that was a really core differentiator for Facebook in those um, early days and um, and continued to be through the the rise, in addition to uh, a lot of attention to the user interfaces, mm-hmm. prioritizing simplicity, constraining choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were, se- there were fewer features, but MySpace was having full them be of better. Yeah. And helping people feel like it was a comfortable place to 
be to who be. themselves. And you, you themselves. all stayed with it when it moved out. You were there in the beginning, sort of. You, yeah. I mean, I stayed in school, and mm-hmm. then I went out to Palo Alto in June of 2006 and mm-hmm. stayed a very brief time until right. February of 2007. Right. So I was a bit of an interloper. I mean, I was mm-hmm. working in in Facebook from Harvard mm-hmm. um, and was out there on weekends and things. But, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't like Dustin, for instance, as mm-hmm. part of the, you know, And why not? Why did time. you just not want to do a startup or what? It was multiple things. Um, I liked school. Mm-hmm. I was the first in my family to be able to go to a college like Harvard. I was on financial aid. Um, Mark and Dustin weren't. It would have been a, a much, it felt to me like it would have been a, a, a very big deal for me mm-hmm. to drop out and giving up an opportunity mm-hmm. um, that, uh, uh, I'd worked very hard right. to to get. So that was one piece of it. I think I, I loved what we were doing on Facebook. I, I did not feel the same sense of mm, missionary zeal, mm-hmm. commitment, you right. know, just um, that Mark and I think some of the others did. Mm-hmm. There was this sense on his part then and, and really – I think likely now that connecting the world was going to be good in and of itself, Mm -hmm. that the world should be more open and connected. And it became a refrain that, you know, was just packed with value and and meaning for Mm -hmm. him. I can remember some early sessions of just trying to uh, unpack exactly what that meant for him and why was that good in and of itself. And um, I thought it was probably a good thing, but Mm -hmm. I didn't quite share the... It, it wasn't a mission to me. It was more a, f- a fun project, a, right. a, a company that I right. enjoyed being a part of. And you went off and did work with the President Obama and all kinds of other things. Yeah, that's what I left in 2007 and uh, went and ran the social networking uh, piece of Barack Obama's uh, first campaign for president. Mm-hmm. And you were, you, and you had you stayed in touch with them, and obviously you benefited from Facebook <laughs> immensely. Immensely. Yes. So you were an early shareholder. You yes. had early shares and everything like that. Yes. When you were talking about this idea of this missionary zeal, and they still have it, they still have the idea of connecting, and Mark's all his language is around that it's the, it, the premise is it's good to connect, period, everybody. Yeah. You see it now creeping in with this crypto yeah. line. Yeah, exactly. It's good to do this. It's good to do that. There was never, I, I don't recall ever him questioning the premise itself, even though, if, even if I questioned it or other people questioned it. Uh, my sense is that has evolved a mm-hmm. bit. You know, I think um, the release of Andrew Bosworth's memo mm-hmm. that, gosh, I guess that happened now a couple ye- mm-hmm. years ago, if I'm remembering the timeline right, I think forced Mark and others there to clarify that mm-hmm. um, connection isn't always a good in and of itself. It mm-hmm. matters how the tools are used. And even now you see them, I think, wrestling with this in – in public, you know, it's not a good thing to connect ISIS with recruits. It's not right. a good thing to connect a bully with someone that they're trying to bully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are real abuses of the the tools, and um, and uh, that's a problem. I think they understood that, but there was just still this zeal that, like, well, on balance, this is human progress. Mm-hmm. Facebook moves us forward right. in our in our march of progress. And I think a lot of people are more skeptical of that now. Right. <laughs> That's an understatement. So you you left, did other things. You worked, you you, you had, a, you had a, a, a wrangle with media. You did all kinds of different things. You moved moved on. You Did you stay close to them? Did you, as you watched it, you were watching from outside as a, as a founder and previous and an investor, obviously, and 
previous employee. And there's lots of those in every internet company yeah. that I can think of. Yeah, I mean, I li- I've I've lived on the East Coast for the past ten years, so yeah, we stayed close. Close to me has been messages every few months, seeing each other once or twice a year. I went to Mark and Priscilla's wedding; they came to ours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wouldn't have said that Mark has been one of my you know half a dozen closest friends in mm-hmm. the world, but he he has been a friend and. So I have still felt a sense of closeness to him, even though our communications and the pattern of right. It you has talk about that off. in the beginning of the piece that you wrote. We're here with Chris Hughes, the co-founder of Facebook, who's written a piece in the New York Times called "It's Time to Break Up Facebook." We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about why Facebook has failed to regulate itself and how the FTC screwed up by letting it buy Instagram and WhatsApp in the first place. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I want to get to the piece in a second, but I want to get the idea of what moved you to do it. So you were were, doing working on your stuff, you were working on income inequality. A lot of people do write and think these things, but very few people say them and understand the price of saying them. Mm Mm-hmm. How did you think about that and how you that you wanted to do this? And I want to know, did you tell him you were doing this? Well, I no, I have not talked about Mark. I did not talk to Mark about this piece before <laughs> it was published. I, I have, I, you know, I started speaking out mm-hmm. about um, some of Facebook's missteps last you have. Are year. You so, uh, yeah, <laughs> a, few, a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say in the piece, the last time I saw him was in the summer of 2017. We had had a few exchanges after, after that, but the communication has trailed off. Mm-hmm. I decided to do the piece, though, because as it became increasingly clear to me, Mm-hmm. that Facebook is a monopoly, and it's because that Facebook is a monopoly that we have this ongoing pattern of privacy scandals, election problems, lack of accountability, um, with how the news feed the system. works, et cetera, it, it, exactly that I think is, is causing it because there's no accountability. As that became more clear to me, then, you know, I have a choice. I can say that privately to close friends and just 
keep it close or I can be me mm-hmm. and I can say what I think. And because I work on economic justice issues every day, mm-hmm. this comes up. You know, right. Antitrust and right. the concentration of corporate power in general comes up weekly, if not daily, in my work. And so I, I just didn't and don't feel comfortable saying one thing privately mm-hmm. and something else publicly. That's not how I want to live my life. I right. want to be authentic. I want to be honest. I understand, I very much understand that this particular point um, comes with consequences mm-hmm. for me and for some of the relationships in my life. But um, I I need to say my piece. I you want need to, to say, say it. My you piece. wanted to say it. So let's get to the piece itself because I think it was I was sort of blown away because I read a lot of pieces by people who are lead there and they're usually pr- relatively friendly. You know, like well there are problems, but look at all the benefit it's done. Mm. There was you were you went right there. Mm. I mean, calling that calling. Uh, let me just before you start that one of the things you do make very clear is Mark is a lovely person. I think we both agree. Um, with that idea is that Mark is a, is a tremendously interesting person. He's earnest. He tries to understand. He he's one of the most polite people I know in Silicon he Valley. Um, he's not arrogant the way people think he is he's in any not. way. Nonetheless, one of the things you talk about is it, none of this matters. And you say, Mark is still the same person I watched hug his parents as they left our dorm and common room at the beginning of sophomore year. He's the same person who procrastinated studying for tests, fell in love with his future wife while online at a bathroom at a party, and slept on, mattress, slept on a mattress on a floor in a small apartment years after he could have afforded much more. In other words, he's very human, but it's very humanity that makes his unchecked power so problematic. I think that that was a staggering statement. It was really fascinating to me. And then later you go on to say that this unprecedented power is also un-American. Really strong statement. Talk about that idea of this unchecked power that he has. He has no way to be fired. He is controlling uh, uh, controls Facebook completely. The board is uh, is not if not a rubber stamp, maybe an advisory board for a lovely dinner every quarter. Talk about even with a nice person why that's a problem from your perspective. I think this was one of the hardest things in making sense of um, this landscape for me because. You know, knowing Mark as a person, he has been a friend. I care about him. I think he is a good person. And I think he's made some mistakes, and the whole world wants to, uh, I I feel like, um, uh, you know, attack Mark as a person for those mistakes. And I view them as very real. Mm -hmm. They have immense gravity. He is responsible for them. And he is human. These are mistakes that he's owned. That also means, though, that we, somebody has to hold him accountable. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's, we, we all make mistakes and most of us, you know, get held accountable either by uh, a law, law the law, you know, if you, with most companies, with customers, mm-hmm. they'll walk, you know, they'll go, you, you serve uh, bad food at a restaurant and give people food poisoning, they're not going to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. this is, this is how dynamic and, and fair markets Work And so it's possible, both things are possible for Mark to be a good person who is trying to fix a lot of these problems and for him to have too much power. And I think that even today and yesterday after the piece has come out, people rush to, you know, well, why didn't you just talk to Mark about fixing this himself? And and that's exactly the point. Mm -hmm. He cannot fix this. Ironically, this is the one thing he doesn't have power over. This is what government 
is for, to, mm-hmm. to ensure that markets are dynamic, competitive, and fair, and to protect Americans from, uh, from abuses. So I, I think that it's hard for people to understand that both of these things can be true. It's hard for me to understand mm-hmm. that both of these things can be true, but they are. Right. And telling him, he's heard it from a lot of people, right? Friends and others, very outspokenly, Roger McNamee, people that used to be close to him too. He's heard it from a lot of people. I think you're correct in saying that no matter what, he's incapable of dealing with the problem. I think, yeah, I think Facebook has become too big. I I don't think that there's, um, you know, there are ways that he can deal with it better than others. I Mm -hmm. think that um, for the past month, six weeks or so, uh, Facebook has been, and he has been more clear that they uh, will, uh, Facebook and he have been more clear that they welcome some kind of regulation. He said in the Washington Post, I think I have too much power or something along those lines. I think those are good signs. I mean, I I, I do think that we need uh, a robust conversation in Washington. I think that they're also a way to um, yes, ensure yes. that regulation is friendly, mm-hmm. a way to head off these arguments that the company should be broken up. Right. So, um, but I think, again, it, he's, um, I, I imagine he and they are making those arguments in good faith. And they're also, they also need to be held account um, by the folks in government. Those are the people who need to step up. And there's, the issue is that this is growing. It still continues to grow and do well. That's one part. And we're going to talk about the solutions in a second to this. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting when you wrote, I'm angry that his focus on growth led him to sacrifice security and civility for clicks. I'm disappointed in myself and early Facebook team for not thinking about how newsfeed algorithm could change our culture, influence elections, and empower nationalist leaders. And I'm worried that Mark has surrounded himself with a team that reinforces his beliefs instead of challenging them. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, I agree with you. Um, but in terms of the idea of growth, 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 it's it's sort of been at the center of that company for a long time. They're still on it. Yeah. And, and you know, part of you, part of me says, you know, what entrepreneur doesn't want to grow their company? Mm-hmm. You know, every, every, I mean, that's part of the uh, role of a good business person is to, um, you know, increase revenues, increase profits, and, you know, become, yeah, and, and become more successful. So um, it's why it's it's really important to me if we're going to lay blame, like it's not that Mark, I think, did something unethical by mm-hmm. buying WhatsApp right. or by buying Instagram. The, the folks who made the mistake are the FTC. Right. They should not have approved either of those acquisitions, and they have the power now to go back and correct those. So this drive to growth is something that I don't think we should be surprised about in, or I'm not surprised about in Mark's case, but I do think it has become problematic. So right. where I do think that I hold some responsibility even back in the early days, and it is appropriate to hold them accountable, is thinking about growth first and then worrying about how a tool works in the wild later. I mean, I think that live casting Mm -hmm. is a perfect example. You know, they rolled it out. Anybody can live cast at any time. That seems like it's furthering the march. Chewbacca mamas everywhere. Right. Exactly. And there there is a lot of live streaming that happens that is um, worthwhile, I guess, entertaining Mm -hmm. or helps people be somewhat connected. But then you also see things like what happened a few weeks ago in New Zealand, mm-hmm. 
Well, it was interesting because when they roll that out, you know, they show it to reporters, you know, the the drill. And I brought up these things. I, this was years ago. I was like, what about if someone kills someone? What if someone bullies someone? What if someone does pornography? What if someone does this? Where are the tools? And they they called me a bummer. I, I'll never forget it. I was like, a bummer. Whoa. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm a bummer. That's right. I'm the bummer. for I'm mom. I'm here to tell you that bad things will happen here if you let people do whatever they want. Wh- where was that ethos from? Because you talked about the idea that he used the word dominate a lot. And I have heard them all say yeah. it there. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was the drive to growth, drive to domination, drive to be the best. Dominate is different than drive to growth. It's a it's a very different word. Just the way move to fast, win. yeah, move fast and break things. The word break mm. is an unusual choice of a word. Mm-hmm. I thought that was with their motto for a long yeah. time. Yeah, it wasn't disrupt things. It wasn't change things. Yeah, dominate is be the best. Mm-hmm. Is to to clean the playing field, to mm-hmm. wipe up your your competitors. It's not be the best. It's kill everybody. It, it is. It's do, it's control and. Dominate. Mm-hmm. It's I a different right. word. Yeah. Was that there at the beginning, or was it just that they could do it and so they did? Mm, I think there was a tenacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, there was a, a drive to, to greatness. Yeah. I mean, Mark studied the classics. There was lots of talk of uh, Roman emperors and uh, Augusta, you know, these he kinds of things. There was a drive to greatness mm-hmm. that I think still exists. Explain um, the Roman emperors. They they admired the how they ran things. Yeah, I mean he he studied the classics in high school mm-hmm. at Philip's Exeter uh, and at Ardsley. I th- I think before that, I'm not exactly sure on that, but I think he was tempted to be a classics major. Honestly, in college, mm-hmm. he, you know, he only had three semesters, so you'd barely chosen your what you're going right. to study by uh, by that point. But yeah, I think that he had a fascination with legacy, with power, with impact. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that still exists. I'm sure it changes. I, you know, I I'm hes- think anybody would be hesitant to see the things they did when they were 18 or 19 in college and then extrapolate yeah. 20 years later. But um, that was my experience. But there is also, and then I want to get to the solutions you want to uh, put in place. There is also a continuing breaking and flouting of rules after agreeing not to. Yeah, and and um, this FTC be, thing now is about something else. Before, yeah, I mean the um, "I'm sorry" tours, etc. There is that pattern, you know, a mistake, an apology, and trying to correct the course or trying to to right the ship, and then having some other some other problem, some other scandal, some other event to to happen. I worry a lot right now about what will come with this push towards cryptocurrency mm-hmm. that um, they seem to be building towards. Um, you know, according to the reporting, it, they've raised a billion dollars for mm-hmm. it. This introduction of a Facebook coin, a stable coin, introduced likely first in India on, on WhatsApp. You know, the, the, if Facebook controls a meaningful part of the global money supply, mm-hmm. that's a big set of responsibilities that currently we trust government, the Federal Reserve, the mm-hmm. Bank of England, mm-hmm. others to see. It's, I mean, I'm getting perhaps a little yeah. bit ahead of myself, no, but, but the point is, is that you got to think about the ethical implications of how this stuff is going to play out. You got to think about the massive scale that you're working on. And you got to think about all of these quote unquote edge cases, these right. exceptions, these, these potential problems, because particularly, you know, when you've got something that 2.4 billion people are, are going to use, it's a de facto. I, I think you need to assume that these problems are going to crop up and you've got to be either, uh, able to either prevent them or mitigate them 
or um, or do something about it. But but again, like we're still in this in right. this frame of relying on Facebook to do the right thing, right. just hoping that they they get more responsible about it. And I think that I, I hope that that period can be over, and instead we can use the discipline. And why of competition. didn't they do the right thing? Just because of growth, growth, growth. What do you, what do you think? On which on on, which on, on on say. WhatsApp, not immediately putting in the virality that was so damaging to so many people there, or immediately putting out fa- live casting. What what is at the heart of it? I sort of want to get what's. Is it just growth, 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 or something else? You know, I I, I don't know. I I think it's a drive to growth. It's a drive to move move quickly and um, be the most innovative and be the best. Yeah, it's interesting that Bill Gates is his mentor. Mm. It's not a surprise, but it's mm. interesting. When I asked him that and recently, I was so surprised that that was who he would point to, someone who had very similar. Is that who he... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was mm. interesting. All right, let's talk about what you think should happen. Breakup. Everyone went after you. Well, besides going after you for this guy made all this money from Facebook, how dare sure. he insult it? How did you take that? There was a lot of that. Uh, I did make a lot of money from <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my life, the, my entire life has been changed by Facebook, not just the money, but... Mm-hmm. My career, what I pay attention to, who I am, mm-hmm. um, all of this has been colored by Facebook. I think that's that's partially why I'm mm-hmm. speaking out. That's partially why I'm, you know, stepping out of line and saying these things that I believe because I've been thinking about this stuff for a very long time. So, Was there an element of guilt in it for you then? Yeah, I feel some guilt, some responsibility. Yeah, I mean, every time you see one of these headlines, you know, the one from a few weeks ago just storing tens of millions of passwords in plain text format, which mm-hmm. any employee can dip into and log in with. I, probably no one did that. I, I don't I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. they um, could. it's just like, really? <laughs> you know, really? And, and so, yeah, I feel a sense of embarrassment, mm-hmm. um, a, a sense of responsibility about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to do with that particular. Right. Thing, but, um, yeah, I do. Did you ever think about giving the money back? Or giving it away. You've given away a bunch. Well, yeah. I mean, my uh, my husband and I have committed to giving away effectively all of our money over the course of our lifetimes. And we're investing a lot of it in economic justice issues also, mm-hmm. in international LGBT rights, in um, resisting Trump's agenda and, and political uh, efforts and uh, reform. So we are use I he and I are using, my husband and I are trying to use this money to make the world a, a more just place than it is today. Yeah, it's kind of, it's playing out among the cigarette, people who inherit cigarette money or opiate money. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting question is if you get this money, you see the damage it causes, and then what do you do? Yeah. So let's talk about what you think should happen. You said America was built on the idea that power should not be concentrated in any one person because we were all fallible. That's why the founders created systems of checks and balances. They didn't need to foresee the rise of Facebook to understand the threat of a gargantuan company that could pose to democracy. Jefferson and Madison were voracious readers of Adam Smith who believed that monopolies prevent the competition that spurs innovation and leads to economic growth. You think breakup is the only answer. Not other, now there's a lot of other things. Like, that recently, people have written uh, there should be laws around ad targeting, taxes, mm-hmm. fines, um, certain guardrails that can be put in place by government, mm-hmm. certain inability for Facebook to buy anything else, all kinds of things. Well, I call for that too. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, they shouldn't <laughs> buy anything. They shouldn't be able to buy like a pack of cigarettes as far as I can tell. But those are all what Facebook wants and the, those kind of things, and they've called for them. Why did you go right to breakup? 
Why do you make you Elizabeth Warren move? To hold accountability, yeah. to, to, to create real accountability. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's enough on its own. So I think that we also need to create a new digital re- uh, agency to regulate not just Facebook, but a lot of uh, these big tech companies. So it's not enough, but I do believe that markets, when they are competitive and fair, are the best way to um, to hold people accountable. I mean, people mm-hmm. vote with their feet, with their eyeballs, with right. their with their dollars. And I think we saw this last year when people were very angry mm-hmm. about the Cambridge Analytica scandal, delete Facebook. That moment was a real moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, but there it, were no alternatives, so they went back to Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, that's what that's that's yeah, what multiple did. friends you of mine made that said. note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you went tap tap tap. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair to Facebook. Snapchat exists. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn exists. There are other there well, are other networks, but they are well either they're they're very different in how they're like Facebook LinkedIn has taken the and, ideas of them. And, uh, yes, and and they're very very small. I mean, mm-hmm. Snapchat Snapchat made a billion had a billion dollars of revenue mm-hmm. last year, which is two percent. I think less than two percent of what Facebook. Made. I mean, it and is, again, some of the damage is because Facebook borrowed its best ideas. Yeah. So, so this idea. So, I do think, I, I do think that competition is the best way to hold Facebook accountable. I think in this scenario, you would see Instagram spun out mm-hmm. as a publicly traded company with its own CEO. You'd see WhatsApp spun out with as a publicly traded company with its own CEO. Mm-hmm. Facebook.com should continue. And Facebook.com, by the way, would still be very large. Mm-hmm. You know, some folks online have, have, have said, well, you know, this is not going to solve all the problems because mm-hmm. Facebook.com yes. will still be very, very large. And the I big think blue app. There, I think there's argument to, to that merit. I'm not sure. I'd love to hear more ideas around if there's something there to be done. Well, I, you could I, I separate can't quite get my ad head targeting around. from the service. And- yeah, yeah. I'd like to learn more about that. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought that all the way through, but I think that there are probably still other ways to do it. But this is this is really, I think, just separating Instagram and WhatsApp out is crisp. It's clear until just a few months ago. They were administered separately inside of Facebook. Why do you think so Mark did that? Done. The administration, the separate administration or the integration? Integration. I think it was a desire to, I mean, I think taking a step back, Instagram and WhatsApp are very successful. Yeah. You know, they've been really outpacing uh, Facebook. Facebook.com's own success. They're, as they grow more powerful, they're, they have more and more data. Mm-hmm. They have more and more folks' attention. Mm-hmm. And I think he wants to consolidate. I mean, he said he wants to consolidate all of that all right. of that data and make it easier to um, use, to, to streamline, to build business services on top of. So I think that that's why he's doing it. I think, I mean, it's not lost on anyone that the drumbeat around antitrust action has been growing for Mm -hmm. a year now. And it would be harder to separate them out the more time goes by. And so uh, that may be a What did you think of the the departure of the people who ran those companies, each of those? Sad to see. I don't know the WhatsApp guys, Mm -hmm. and I don't really know the Instagram guys um, that well. I think they Um, were very unhappy by that, what was happening. Yeah, I mean, that's, and worried, that's certainly say. how it's been reported. Um, mm-hmm. And from folks I know who know them, um, mm-hmm. that's how it's been perceived. So, you know, I haven't talked to any of them since the piece has come out, but mm-hmm. you have to wonder what are they, you know, if, if, in if Instagram boys. was separated out mm-hmm. and was it independently administered, would they have interest in stepping up to lead it to be mm-hmm. an independent company? Yes, I'd to say take so. on. They didn't uh, want to leave. 
They didn't want to leave. They left themselves, but they didn't want to leave. I don't know. I, that's the only way I can put it. Yeah. I think they didn't like what was happening, and they were worried about the data issues and didn't feel like they were being addressed in the yeah. right way. What about uh, uh, Mark stepping down? Uh, I mean, some have called for that. I think um, I'm not sure that solves a lot of the problems. I think that, uh, you know, he says often, I created this mess. I'm, yeah, yeah, should I said be that the to one him. To I think it. he said that to me. Uh, yeah. That's, and, you know, if, if you look at how that would actually play out, I guess the idea is that he names someone else, or the board mm-hmm. names someone else as CEO, and he controls he 60% controls. of the voting shares. Anyway. So he's still uh, effectively. I think, controlling the company. So I'm not really sure. I mean, it would inject new blood, mm-hmm. I guess, into the management. That might be a, a, a good new thing, particularly with Chris Cox's uh, mm-hmm. departure, having another face in the mix there on the senior team. I, I don't know. It depends <laughs> on who the person is, depends on what uh, what they what they want to do. But I don't, I'm not sure that's, it, it, that falls back into that frame right. of like, well, there's just these tweaks that Facebook can make. If they right. just tweak the, who's in that CEO seat and Mark's just chairman, or if they just appoint a privacy czar, it's going to, that's, no, <laughs> we need the market to inf- to the market dynamics right. of a competitive landscape to enforce accountability, and we need government regulation to hold them at the same time. So the FTC, how do you look at how they behave? Well, I think that this fine, which nobody really knows, you know, Facebook yeah. has said that they expect it to be um, up, up to, to five, five which I call the parking ticket. It is. I mean, it's it's remarkable in the size. Mm-hmm. It is a historic fine right. in the size of the FTC. And it is also remarkable in how unfazed mm-hmm. the market has been. The folks at Facebook are yeah. about it. I mean, the day after it was announced, the, the market went it up. went up by $30 billion, mm-hmm. six times the size of the fine. So even a record fine mm-hmm. is playing out as a, as a slap on the wrist, which I think should be. If that's not a signal that mm-hmm. something else needs to happen, I I, I don't yeah, know I agree. what is. So we'll see where the FTC lands on this on this fine and on the, um, the other w- and on whether or not to to have a privacy SAR has been um, rumored. I, I don't know. What I, about I, holding Mark liable? That's another thing. Yeah, I'm not. I I don't know enough about the law to know exactly how that would work or what that would mean. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I think that over there they're searching for all the ways that they can hold Facebook accountable and win in court and win in court. And I think that they should be thinking more seriously about simply breaking the company up. Mm-hmm. I think. Americans would be on their side. I think folks on the left and on the right would mm-hmm. increasingly be on their side. I don't actually think it would be, I mean, it would be a very big deal, mm-hmm. but I think that the the groundwork is increasingly laid for them to take a historic move like this. And listen, you know, whether it's the Justice Department or the FTC, historically, they have done these things. I mean, the Microsoft case. Which was uh, a, mon- they didn't AT&T, break them up. They didn't, but right. they did They did settle. And there mm-hmm. was a, uh, a settlement, which I think held Microsoft in line a little bit. They've become the one process. of the best corporate cus- citizens now. It's fascinating. And but, in fact, Brad Smith, who's the president, is thought to be a very good idea to run Facebook, which is mm-hmm. interesting now, which interesting. is sort of ironic, if you think about it. 
We're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this with Chris Hughes. He's the co-founder of Facebook, who has written a column in the New York Times called It's Time to Break Up Facebook. When we get back, we'll talk about why Hughes wants to see a new digital regulatory agency and the most surprising reactions he's received for his column. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions? And the power of do-overs. The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast or find it wherever you listen. I'm going to talk about the repercussions to finish up talking about the repercussions, but would you see any other... The only reason, because breakup is something that is almost impossible to happen. You don't see it happening. Is there anything else that you thought of promoting there at all? Besides, a record fine is probably not going to work unless it has another zero on the end of it, like a $50 billion fine. Is there any other thing that could possibly happen to do that? And I want you to also include Google in this because I think mm. Google sen- tends to sail out. Mark has gotten mm-hmm. the brunt of this criticism and deservedly, but Google tends to sail out of it when they have mark- similar markets. Do you think that should be the same thing for Google? And I guess it would be just Google and Facebook are the problematic companies. Well, I'm not sure I agree with the premise that um, breakup is so impossible mm-hmm. to imagine. It is It is a big step, obviously, but I don't think we should give up on that line okay. of argument quite so quickly. I do think that a new regulatory agency, you which about would guarantee a uh, fundamental level of privacy and security and give real tools to enact Fines that would that the market wouldn't like, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, eye popping fines for sloppy privacy practices, and also notifying users quickly when mm-hmm. it happens, enabling people to take their data Hacking. seamlessly yeah. to other other platforms. These kinds of things, uh, I, I think, would would put real pressure on Facebook and other digital companies to change its behavior in conjunction with a competitive market, then I think we would get to a place that that things would... The the last thing you suggested is the idea of regulation of speech, which Facebook already regulates speech, and it's allowed to under all laws. Mm -hmm. It is not the public square, but it is the de facto public square, even though it's not technically the public square. So I don't think the government should be in the business of regulating speech, Mm -hmm. period. I do think that the government has historically set guidelines for extreme cases of what doesn't really count as free speech. You know, yelling a fire Mm -hmm. in a crowded Mm -hmm. theater. You can't spread rumors on Twitter to jack up your stock price. Mm -hmm. You um, can't incite... uh, Right. Uh, You can't incite uh, violence. And I don't think uh, that live streaming... Violence, shooting, uh, bullying, these things should be permissible. I think that, you know, it gets more complicated as you go from there. And rather than having corporate executives 
in Menlo Park, in any, I mean, not, again, not just with Facebook, but with right. other companies to be making these decisions. These these guidelines should be developed through a participatory democratic process mm -hmm. that this agency should undertake, and then they should be subject to appeal in the courts. Mm -hmm. This the, the courts should be the institution in government that says what speech you can share and what speech you can't. Right mm -hmm. now, it's somebody who writes a handbook that Mark signs off on mm -hmm. at Facebook corporate headquarters. So I, I think it's really important to, to, to me to be clear that I'm not yeah, suggesting somebody. that government um, get in the business of censoring. And they can't. I'm saying instead, the courts should be the ultimate arbiters of free speech. And right now, uh, on social media, they're not. Mark Zuckerberg is. So, finishing up, the, the let me read you something from Tristan Harris, who does a lot of this. He was mo first was around tech addiction, and that's mm. an, another issue. But he was trying to get this idea of that um, that it's bigger than that. That it's the degrading of humanity. That, that what has happened yeah. is the degrading of humanity and the upgrading of computers. You're a Gmail engineer or you're a Facebook newsfeed engineer and you're just writing some lines of code every day. You don't think it's going to influence a genocide happening in Myanmar, influence the politics of France or populism around the world. The whole point is that we need to move from this disconnected set of grievances and scandals that these problems are seemingly separate. Tech addiction, polarization, outrageification of culture, the rise of vanities, micro-celebrity culture, everyone has to be famous. These are not separate problems. They're actually coming from one thing, which is the race to capture human attentions by the giant. With increasingly powerful AI pointed to your brain to reverse engineer, what can I throw in front of your nervous system to crawl down your brain and get something out to you, whether it's an ad click or an addiction or political convergence or whatever? This is all part of one connected system. We call it human downgrading, which is the social climate change of culture. Mm. How do you think about that? I think a lot change. of what Tristan says mm -hmm. is right on, and I think a lot of people agree with him. I mean, his words are 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 very clear, are, are in, um, in some ways provocative, but I think that there's a general sense across the country that maybe we should be spending a little bit less time on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should be spending a little bit less time on our phones, on email, on Snap, in messaging. And so then the question is, is well, what are the solution sets to help people achieve that? And right now, at least in social media, I don't think there is much choice. Like, I would love to use a social network that doesn't collect immense amounts of data on me, both on site and mm -hmm. across the web and in other apps. I'd pay for it to not do that, to not have advertisements, and to have an experience that um, uh, with, you know, that's a trusted and secure environment. I mean, by some studies, a lot it's, it seems like a lot of users would pay for that kind mm -hmm. of service. But we don't have a competitive market for that to right. emerge. So I guess my point is th there's a growing sense amongst consumers, amongst Americans, a desire to be in better control, to <laughs> eat fewer french fries and because we know they're not great for us they may be delicious but we want we want some broccoli and sometimes that can be good for us too. there's there's a sense that people want to mm -hmm. be healthier right but we we don't have any there's without there's competition no there's no there's no there's the illusion of choice i don't have to look at my instagram feed uh, uh, yeah. so often but uh, there's no there's no uh, real choice for any other because we live in a digital world. To, to, to use to help me 
move off of that. So I want to be clear that, you know, I still choose to look Mm -hmm. at my, you know, I don't use Facebook that much. I use Instagram Instagram. some. I I, I am aware that each time I fire up that app, I am making, uh, I'm making a little choice to do that. And I take some responsibility for that. I also know that I would much prefer an app, which would, where I fired it up, where it would say, really? Mm-hmm. Do you want do you want yeah. to look at this right now? Or made it hard for me to do so, or I could say, hey, I'm only gonna look at Instagram five times a day. Mm-hmm. That's about how much I want to use mm-hmm. it. Is this one of those moments? No, I don't need to right. spend 10 seconds. You know, they're, they're exactly. The way they're, they're, there are ways to, but I don't have that, I don't have that choice. You don't, you don't have that choice. Mm-hmm. And so um uh, I think a competitive market is the way to solve this problem because that demand, what Tristan is talking about, that demand is real. Right. And and he he is giving it voice, but it is I think, being experienced all across the country. Okay, lastly, so having done this, how do you feel about the reaction? Some Dustin put up something that he took down saying, why doesn't he focus on breaking up Fox and Sinclair? And then he removed it rather quickly. Yeah, I saw that. What is the, this is Dustin Moskowitz, the other, one of the other founders. Mm-hmm. Um, well, how do you judge the reaction so far? You've really set off a fight. People have been saying this, but something around you saying it made a big difference. It's, it's it, I mean, I, I, I knew it would be, a big deal. Uh, it's it's been much bigger mm-hmm. than I thought it would be. My experience of it is that it's been generally positive. Um, I have already learned. I'm, I'm you know I'm curious to talk more about some of these ideas mm-hmm. that separating the ad network. Mm-hmm. Some of these ideas that are riffing, extending the argument. Um, I wish I'd spoken more in the piece about how we can restructure corporate boards mm-hmm. to be more accountable, yes. uh, which uh, Elizabeth Warren and others have uh, mm-hmm. talked a little bit about. So I'm already learning from a lot of the responses. And it's been really interesting. I think some of the, the uh, I've gotten mostly encouraging notes, some from former Facebook folks, some who are more skeptical. But the most surprising notes that I've gotten have been from the business community. Mm-hmm. I've gotten quite a few notes from investors who say, thank you, this argument needed to be made. Uh, this this landscape, this market is frozen. And there's a, you know, a suggestion that others in the tech, uh, other markets in the, whether it's search or e-commerce or elsewhere are also frozen. And uh, so those those were the ones I did not totally yeah. expect, to mm-hmm. be honest. And that's been, that's been the most, most surprising thing. Anything you regret? Well, I wish I had spoken more to um, some of these other solutions, too, in the mm-hmm. mix, like what's called co-determination, how to right. restructure the the boards. Um, I definitely wish that we had, uh, that I had thought a little bit more about that. Um, but uh, no big regrets other than that. So, so what far. do you want Mark to do with this? Do you think he'll listen to you? You know, I don't know. I mean— what what can he do? You know, it's 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 not Mark that I'm so worried about listening to this. It's um, legislators. It's folks at the FTC. It's folks running for president. It's uh, leaders in government and in and in tech and in uh, the business world as well. I think that's where the onus is. That's where the the responsibility. And you're seeking is to, to influence. To do you want to run? Your husband no. did. No, I do not. <laughs> I have no interest. Well, you just want the conversation to get going. Yeah, and I and I I have felt this for a while now, both responsibility and anger at um, what's happened, and it feels nice to be able to. I was saying, how does my, it feel? Yeah, it feels it feels nice. It feels really good to be able to just be honest and be clear and say what I 
believe, to understand that, you know, I am probably going to lose some friends what is over the price? This. What is the price for this, do you think? I think I may lose some friends over this, but I'm not sure how close those friends were in the first place. I mean, if we can't... There are some, there are some kind of friends who you can disagree with about things. I have friends with whom I have disagreements, and we're still friends. This is obviously a very charged, very mm-hmm. important thing. So I don't expect to necessarily continue being friends with Mark. I don't know. I'm... Um, I think what I'm calling for is for government to step up, but, you know, only time will tell. Time will tell. The bros of Silicon Valley are mad at you, Chris, but don't worry about that. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much. It was a great essay. I urge you to read it. It's in the New York Times. It's called It's Time to Break Up Facebook. It is very long and very considered. It's not a short, Mm -mm. you know, pundit thing. (laughs) It's got a lot of facts and figures, and it's very well argued. Again, Chris Hughes, thank you so much for coming on Recode Decode. Thanks, Chris, for coming on the show, and thanks to you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. If you liked the episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with your friends. And if you make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot, just search for them on your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to Noriko Okabe of Argo Studios. Thanks to you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.